0: Welcome to the Baseball SDL Podcast, or should I say welcome back to the Baseball SDL Podcast. We are off hiatus from last season, back up and running in Jupiter, Florida, home of the St. Louis Cardinals Spring Training Complex. KMOX's Chris Raby, host of Sports Open Line, Join me in the press box at Roger Dean, and we talked pitching, prospects, and position battles, plus a little reality talk thrown in. So sit back and enjoy the sounds of baseball and catch up on all the news you need to know from Cardinal Camp so far.
1: Well, JJ Bailey, we have now seen a couple of weeks of games and we've seen everyone in the Cardinals rotation a couple of times through Lance Lynn, is third start today. It was Michael Waka's third start yesterday. Mike Leak will go for the third time tomorrow. Uh, Adam Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, obviously at the World Baseball Classic. Let's talk about, though, kind of each of these guys, what we've seen and some of our initial impressions. We can begin uh, with Lance Lynn, who we saw pitch today and... It's hard to kind of get a read on obviously what he wants to do and, and how he feels about his stuff, but he's just kind of looked like Lance Lynn to this point.
0: Yeah, he's he's really working out. Yadier Molina has been calling uh, a lot of his secondary pitches stuff that's been sort of off the table for him when he was dealing with the you know the elbow injury in 2015. Obviously, 2016 didn't throw at all, but in 2015, you know, unable to throw that curveball, unable to throw a lot of the secondary pitches just because of the elbow pain. Now he can kind of re-explore some of those pitches, but as he once put it, uh, options are overrated. If you go to the buffet, you just eat the food that you like and you leave the rest, and so the fastball has treated him well, but I think both Molina and Carson Kelly today have have made an effort to call some of those secondary pitches because as effective as Lynn is with multiple fastballs, you know, cutting, running, sinking, um, the ability to pull the string, the ability to throw a breaking pitch with uh, some level of consistency is, is key for a guy that, Um, is looking to kind of reestablish that 15-17 win form.
1: I I think that maybe the most impressive thing has been that we haven't heard anything really about there being any caution with him or uh, him being under any kind of restriction. Obviously, you know, you're aware of the fact that he had Tommy John surgery, but he got into the minor league games last year because of the time into the surgery back in November of 2015, and he just seems to be on normal Lance Lynn work.
0: Well, I think that the timing of his surgery certainly plays into it because he could basically square up for a, a normal offseason as opposed to having to still do rehab work. But I think another thing that's the, about timing that kind of matters here is he's going into the last year of his three-year deal with the Cardinals. You know, 15, 16, 17, 16 was lost to injury. This is the last year that he's under contract in St. Louis, and... At that for you know for that reason the Cardinals don't have a ton of incentive to be cautious they should let him roll because um, they're trying to get as much value as they can for the existing contract right now and you're not planning uh, ahead for a financial investment in the way that you would if
1: he was still under contract for two or three more seasons uh, so Lancelin again today his third start looked pretty good against Houston uh, we saw Michael Waka his third start yesterday I really want to talk about Waka and I, I understand that he pitches well and he looked good yesterday, and I think it's it's easy to say don't overreact, but I don't think really at the end of the day anyone was paying attention, uh, maybe except for a few people, to his actual stat line and the runs that he hasn't given up, hasn't given up an earned run yet in the spring. Um, I don't think that's really what I was paying attention to. I think we're seeing things from him and, and seeing the ball move in ways that we haven't seen in a long time from him.
0: Yeah, I think that was evident when he started throwing his first live bullpen sessions against hitters. Um, <clears throat> I know this is, is somewhat kind of esoteric to define, but the ball looks different. It feels different coming from kind of a, a re-strengthened shoulder and the confidence he has now to fully extend in his delivery. I think that's, that's so key that he's, if he's got the confidence to fully extend and finish his pitches, they have a different look. They're lower in the zone, and the fastball being low in the zone is what his repertoire is built off of. Last year, the changeup was fine and low, but if you couldn't throw the fastball for a convincing strike low in the zone, then nobody ever chased the changeup because they just had to wait for a mistake. He's able to finish those pitches, and that's why we're seeing more curveballs now too because he's he's able to get on top of those curveballs and finish them all the way through, where last year his, his shoulder really prevented him from fully executing on these pitches. And... Mike Matheny said it a couple times. Now, he's the manager. He's going to say that, but a lot of different guys have said it. Opposing hitters have said it. This is the velocity that Michael Walker brought with him when he was NLCS MVP. This is hard, heavy, low fastballs that have not been present in his game since about the first half of 2015.
1: Well, and that's the thing too, right? It's velocity with a purpose. It's not 95 over the middle of the plate. It's not 95 up. Um, because big league hitters can handle that, it's like you said—hard, heavy, low. It's low in the zone, and it sets up that changeup, which had almost become not just ineffective, but he had really gotten away from it. When we saw him throw off-speed pitches the last couple of years, when he had struggled, he had seemed, to, at least in my opinion—I'd have to pull up the numbers—but he'd seemed to throw a lot more curveballs and get away from the changeup, even even just featuring it. Yeah, and that in that second half
0: of 2015 that season he started off so well here in the all-star bid and his era and all of his you know walk walks uh, strikeout to walk ratio walks per 9 strikeouts per 9 all those numbers were dramatically worse in the second half of 2015 because he was struggling with that fastball which made the changeup either easy prey or a pitch that gets ignored and at no point in his career, I actually just wrote a story about this, at no point in his career did he throw more curveballs than the second half of 2015 because he was leaning on any pitches that weren't exposed. And the changeup had been exposed because he couldn't get the fastball down. And all of that, again, to this point in spring, all of that looks demonstrably different than than where he was last, even last spring. Not so much during the season because that got, that got bad in a hurry, but even last spring, this looks far more comfortable for him on the mound and his execution is far more reliable
1: so we don't know how his shoulder will react and he made the point yesterday of saying you know it's it's really really early my goal is not to feel good during spring training essentially it's to be ready and to be able to pitch at the end of the season so a lot of unknown still lies ahead and, and we can talk and write about the offseason work that he did and the strength program and and trying to strengthen that shoulder, but there's still a lot up in the air. What should the target be for him? How will the Cardinals handle him? And what do you think a best-case scenario workload is, given some of the uncertainty that surrounds his shoulder and and how much volume he'll actually be able to provide? I'd say the best-case scenario for Michael Walker this this season,
0: especially how the Cardinals want to handle him going forward, would probably be right around 175 innings, right? I mean, that'd be... The best-case scenario, that'd be that'd be a – if everything goes according to plan, 175 innings, which is where you'd want, you know, essentially a young pitcher maybe in their first season as, as a rotation member. But that's where you need to handle Michael Walker right now because you have to build in time off. You have to build in skip starts. You have to build in outings where if he has five strong innings and they're up, save some of that workload, pull him out. If they've got a five-run lead, pull him out and don't push him through the sixth or the seventh save those innings for later in the year. And I think that if his body holds up and his his strength regimen does what it was intended to do, I think that he has probably a ceiling of 175 innings, 170 innings. I think if you get that from Michael Walker at this juncture, you're thrilled.
1: I think that would be, that's absolutely best-case scenario. And again, I'm just not sure that anybody knows because it's an injury that that is so just almost out of nowhere sometimes and you can't really forecast it you can't really take a week or two off when you feel good during the middle of the season and try to be preventative i just think that it depends so much on you know how he feels and you almost go day to day start to start and realize as an organization and this is where some of the extra pitching depth comes in but realize that it could literally flare up at any point from now until the end of the year and, and probably will be that way for the rest of his career
0: yeah I think that's true I mean this is a guy that he's desperate to find the, the the recipe right because his greatest value if you remember his his first half in 2015 if you remember him scoring off against the Dodgers in the playoffs this guy was was anointed one of the the rising stars, the up and coming. Remember, they build him and Garrett Cole squaring off is is like the new young stars, right? With some of the best arms in baseball, his value proposition to this market is a two hundred inning starter, right? A frontline starter. That's where you get make the money, and that's where you can make the biggest impact in your career. He doesn't want to be moved to the bullpen. He doesn't want to be a six kind of rotation kind of guy, six man rotation kind of guy. His incentive is to try everything he possibly can to find what works. And this season is so critical, especially coming off that arbitration hearing, to reestablish his value as a legitimate, dependable starting pitcher.
1: All right, let's talk about Adam Wainwright next. And we've had uh, kind of the vintage Adam Wainwright press conference character emerge so far. We talk about it with Lance Lynn, kind of know what you're going to get. And with Wainwright, it seemed like last year he was searching all season. He was not only searching on the mound, but – he was searching for answers and we would talk to him post game and you know he'd, he'd have a great start and he'd say I'm back or I'm feeling it or I figured it out then he'd have a bad start or two and he'd say you know I'm frustrated I'm terrible right now or I feel like I'm close and finally at the end of the year I think it was after a start in September when he got clubbed and they lost and he said I just I don't know what to tell you guys like I'm searching for it it's just not happening I'm not happy things obviously aren't working I just don't know what to tell you guys. So we then come out last week, I guess it was, uh, what, last Thursday, so like the calendar week ago, um, and and he says, I figured it out. Um, and, And it was kind of a comment in passing where he said, you know, my curveball's back. Nobody likes to give up two home runs, but my curveball's back. And the question is then asked, you know, well, what happened? And what do you mean back? Back compared to last year, back compared to the last couple of years, and He said that he watched his video of himself with Al Leiter and he saw that he was gripping it differently a couple of years ago than he grips his curveball now. And he got away from it and said, I'm back. So we all, I think, waited to see what he was going to look like earlier this week when he pitched. And he featured the changeup extensively working with Carson Kelly, a pitch that he admitted he threw more in three innings earlier this week, JJ, than he has in recent years and entire games.
0: Yeah, and I think early this spring, that was one of the first things I, I talked to Wainwright about was his grip on a changeup. He had had several different grips, and I couldn't tell if it was multiple pitches or if it, he was changing his grips or what he was doing. And he talked about he has two different changeups that he's thrown over the years: the regular Maddox change, he called it, which is the the the, the tr- more traditional circle change, and then sort of the split change, which is what he learned from uh, I believe Linsicum for the All Star break All Star game in two thousand ten. But he talked about that early in camp that every spring he wants to come out and he wants to throw change-ups because he wants to add it. And Matt Carpenter, that cheer you hear in the background is Matt Carpenter stepping in after a week off for some back issues. But he wants
1: to feature. And, and Matt Carpenter's not going to swing the bat right now. He's just going to stand here and take pitches. He's going to track these pitches, as they say. He's just going to work on some tracking. But
0: uh, what, what Wainwright said was he tries every spring to throw it because he wants to add it to his arsenal. And as he developed a cutter, it kind of took the place of his changeup so he got away from it. But as he's evolved as a pitcher, he wants more offerings to make them think about. And so he's thrown it and thrown it and thrown it and then never had the conviction to trust it in the regular season and he puts it back in the closet. But this season he said, like every year I'm going to believe it's the year and I'm going to throw it as much as I possibly can, especially as he's rebuilding some of the grips for these other pitches. I think this is something that could appear more – more in games other than four or five pitches in a game I think he could you could see him throw you could see him throw this into the mix and especially in the second half when you got to evolve a little bit as the hitting catches up I think this is something that he's he's really interested in committing to
1: does he need to evolve completely as a pitcher knowing that he's not Adam Wainwright from four or five years ago does he need to be more of a you know, three, four pitch guy who mixes in a lot of curveballs, a lot of changeups, spots the fastball well on the edges, um, keeps his walks down, pitches to contact, and hopes that there's good defense behind him. Yeah, I mean, he's still a guy that because his walk rate was alarmingly high last year, and and you, and you wonder if that was him. I, I almost wonder if part of that was trying to pitch around the defense and trying to maybe in some situations, to get strikeouts. As Matt Carpenter, who was instructed not to swing today, just laid down a beautiful bunt against the shift and uh, reached first base. We're recording this right now during the uh, Cardinals-Astros game, obviously, this afternoon. But do you think part of the walk rate last year was him trying to maybe do too much and and trying to avoid pitching to contact and trying to pitch to uh, more strikeouts, which he's talked about in the past, trying to get away from as he gets older?
0: Yeah, and I think he's still a guy that can... That can Sneak up and strike out seven in a game when his everything is on. But his, you know, the best thing for him is to is to chew through innings, and have easy innings, right? So a lot of movement on his pitches, understanding spots, understanding sequences. Yadier Molina and and him works so well together. Um, I think that the way that he's going to continue to excel as a pitcher at at this point in his career is move quickly through a lineup, move quickly through these outs, and. If you can pitch to bad contact, that's going to save you a ton of bullets for later in the postseason, or later in the season and into the postseason, and that's that's where his evolution, that's where him constantly tweaking and, and changing pitches and adding pitches and taking them away, that's where that's so crucial because he never wants to look the exact same as he looked a year before, and right now he's not going to blow guys away, but what he is going to do is entice them to swing at stuff that is never in the same place twice, and that's how he's going to be able to eat up six innings, seven innings, even at age 35.
1: So when you get to 0-2, when you get to 1-2, you don't necessarily need to spend four or five pitches searching for a strikeout. You want to try to get a ground ball off the end of the bat or try to get someone to chase something and keep your pitch count down because, you know, Carlos Martinez gets into that trouble, I think, when he's 0-2, 1-2. We see him get a bunch of strikeouts, but there was, like, a game in Milwaukee last year. He had, like, 12 strikeouts on a Saturday afternoon. Was, it, was that, like, 100 pitches through four innings?
0: Yeah, and that's the that's what Mike Matheny's talked about Carlos Martinez, right? As Carlos has, has, has messed with his velocity and leaned less on 98 and more on 92-93, he's moving through games a lot more efficiently. And Mike said he's a guy that could probably strike out 20 guys in a game. He has the stuff for that, but that just depends on whether or not he wants to be pitching in the sixth inning or or not because every time, like you said, once you get a guy down two strikes, you then spend the next four or five pitches trying to coax that strikeout. Any pitcher, certainly in this game, would prefer to throw one pitch and get a weak ground ball than to throw seven and get that strikeout. I mean, after a while, you want to be pitching seven, eight, nine innings if you can. That's the only way you can do it right
1: now. So Carlos, obviously, at the World Baseball Classic with the Dominican Republic, and you know, as is. is much as i think the world baseball classic can be a headache for teams and for organizations i think it's great and like you know i never want to put too much stock in these kind of intangibles but he's going to be around great dominican players who you know uh, some future hall of famers some all-stars some guys that have been around the game for a really long time and you know uh, might sound kind of corny but i think that'll be kind of good for him i think it'll be good
0: and I'm I'm doing the same thing you are. I know it's kind of difficult to, to really put value on this, but I think especially for a guy that loves to, to compete that way, that loves the spotlight, that loves to be the big guy on the mound and, and facing games, facing hitters in games with some consequence.
1: I think in, in in an atmosphere that is second to none, especially when you talk about the Latin American countries.
0: Absolutely, and yeah, and live or die, you know, on on, on every inning. I think that can be good for a guy like Carlos because he's he gets to get those juices flowing. He gets to think in that way. He gets to pitch in that way. And for spring training, you know, for some guys it feels like a slow death. You know, you're getting your work in, but it's a matter of course. And you're not – you're out of here after five innings. You go hit the golf course. You can get kind of lulled into to sleep. It can be hard to get the gears going. I think for a guy like Carlos, being able to – let it all out like that this early, you know. An guy. Yeah, an emotional guy to be able to just really let it eat and have a great time. I think that can be a really good jump start to get him kind of a month ahead of everybody else once the season starts.
1: Uh, finally, Mike Leake. Uh, he was victim of the Port St. Lucie wind tunnel on Saturday. I was on the call for uh, his first start. It was a game that he was just incredibly efficient in Orlando against the Braves um he looked so good last spring and was really one of the stories of spring training last year it's too bad that it didn't translate into the regular season but again you're talking quick contact keep the pitch count low uh get a lot of ground balls and you just hope that things are different behind him because a lot of his contract a lot of his contact excuse me rates last year were very similar to what we've seen in the past
0: yeah Mike Leake essentially did what Mike Lee has done his whole career last year. The problem was the plays behind him weren't getting made. And when they weren't getting made, he had to make a shift toward trying to maybe get a few more strikeouts on his own, which is not something that he's really focused on. He just wants to make good pitches that get bad swings. And he was a victim probably more so than any other pitcher on the staff of subpar defense last season. Because if you looked at the fielding independent ERA and the actual ERA, the gap there is a full run. And for a guy that needs throws throws a lot of ground balls, throws a lot of bad contact, needs those plays to be made. And I think that if he did, if he if Mike Leake did exactly what he did last season, this season, his ERA improves by at least three quarters of a run, and I, I think he wins a lot more games with the Cardinals' commitment to better play in the field.
1: So, but what leads you to believe that they will be better defensive? I, I'm not saying that I disagree with you the question to you is why do you think they will be better that commitment what does that mean in terms of actual tangible results especially in an infield when you have essentially the exact same personnel
0: well I think that one of it is the commitment to at least early on we'll see the commitment to utilizing those personnel uh I guess more properly, right? So Matt Carpenter is a serviceable second baseman, a serviceable third baseman, but his best proposition is playing first. So <coughs> a good number of his throw uh, errors came on throws from across the diamond. You take that part away. He's playing first base. He's probably in a more comfortable position. Colton Wong, at least early on and what everything they're saying is going to be your everyday second baseman in the field. There's no question that he makes the infield better. He can make plays that very few players in any position can make and having him out there will steal outs for these pitchers who badly needed outs stolen for them. Then you move to the outfield, and you have Dexter Fowler in center field the years of of playing a major league center field for for Fowler, they teach you things, and he's helped the younger outfielders on positioning, moving them around. And then by moving Grichick, who is a center fielder, to left, you get a much more athletic and rangy left fielder than Matt Holliday, And so that helps cover some of those gaps and covers down the line. I think they just got a little bit better in the field at a few different positions, especially by putting these personnel kind of where they can be optimized.
1: Yeah, I think, too, another year for Oledemis Diaz, He'll certainly be better because we saw him get better over the course of last year. Um, And and the range in the outfield is so, so important. Even if that translates to, like, I have no idea how to quantify this, but that translates to, like, one ball a week that's tracked down that had been falling somewhere around left field, then it's certainly, uh, certainly a vast, vast improvement. All right, JJ, let's move on to some of the position players. And first, just simply want to ask you, what stood out? And we'll get away a little bit from some of the everyday guys that that we know are going to break camp with the club, that we know are going to be on the opening day roster. But uh, let's start in the outfield. What, What has stood out to you to this point?
0: Well, one, it's—I mean—it's obviously Dexter Fowler is going to be on this roster, but it's the impact of, of this center fielder on this team, both what he's been able to do defensively and and help the guys around him, but also what he's done at, at the plate. But some of that is known quantity and expected. I think one of the guys that's really broken out or really really shown bright in camp is Jose Martinez, who you know, 28 years old, uh, has a legitimate chance to break camp on the 25-man roster as perhaps an extra outfielder and occasional platoon first baseman if needed. Um, he's, he continues to hit. He continues to make plays in the field. He continues to do everything that the Cardinals asked for and a little bit more, and I think he's caught the attention. And then if you move down to like maybe one, like, I don't want to say generation, but generation for an outfield, one down, the Cardinals have some pretty exciting talent in the wings. We've seen Harrison Bader play like a maniac, just absolutely crush a ball the other day. Out over the batter's eye and centered. I mean, just blew it away. You knew it was gone the second it came off the bat. Then uh, Mag Sierra has not only impressed the Cardinals, but impressed teams who who've watched the Cardinals. If, you know, a few people asked, you know, is he going to be on the major league roster? You know, is he getting? Are you getting interest for him in, in major league deals? Because he can run. He has a howitzer attached to his shoulder for an arm. He's you know he's shown a little pop with the bat, but he is he is really presenting as a, a four or five tool player. And clearly when you look at him and Bader, you see a future major league outfielder in these guys.
1: All right, let's start with Jose Martinez because he is the now and the guy that out of those three. Bader, I think you could make the argument for, but certainly uh, he's the guy who I think is most poised to make this roster. You look at his numbers in nearly 900 career minor league games. It was a guy that was playing even independent ball a couple of years ago, and he has absolutely hit and in some cases raked everywhere that he's been. He won a batting title in AAA in Omaha as part of the Royals organization. Uh, He came up last year and put together a really nice last month, handles velocity really, really well, some great at-bats that we keep referencing against our oldest Chapman. So you wonder if at some point it was just maybe the circumstances of the organization he was a part of, if he was blocked by some of those really talented young Royals outfielders and why this guy hadn't gotten a shot. I don't think it's because he doesn't have tools or he doesn't have the makeup of a big league player. He also has an incredible personality, a really fresh perspective on things, and people just really, really like being around him. So like, he's a really good ball player. Sometimes these guys just maybe fall through the cracks a little bit, don't get chances, and he kind of fell into the Cardinals' lap last year. Yeah,
0: he really did, and I think you make a good point there. Of There's a lot of guys in the minor leagues who should, should be – at least empirically, should be on major league rosters and can con- contribute at an MLB level. But for whatever reason, personnel, contracts, you know, the inner workings of an organization that sometimes over overshadow just your regular play. Guys out of options. Yeah, like those guys end up marginalized, neutralized, and the Cardinals really—I don't want to say they stumbled across it because that would imply that they, you know, they weren't heavily looking at them. But they—they they really acquired a valuable asset even though he's a little older he's only 28 they've they acquired this guy uh that has been bouncing around with a major league ready bat i would say or at least close to it uh for many years and i think 2017 is the year that he probably breaks in and, and can probably stick on this team for a while for what he offers not only defensively but his ability to be plugged in late in games at the plate and not be overpowered by major league uh major league fastballs
1: all right so let's kind of workshop this let's say you've got your starting eight and in that i'm going to include you know molina carpenter wong peralta third diaz Gritchick, Fowler, and Piscotty. I'm then also going to build in a backup catcher, whoever it is. We'll assume Fryer. So that's nine. Jed Jerko is ten. If you carry 12 pitchers, which you may not have to at the very beginning of the year, but let's say this is your lineup or the roster that we're building putting injuries aside from opening day until the All-Star break. So, uh, you know, not the first week of the season, but the first half of the season. So if you have 12 pitchers, I've now counted 10 position players. That gives you three spots left for Jose Martinez, Matt Adams, Greg Garcia, Tommy Pham, uh, and anyone else that that you'd throw into that mix. So you've got, you know, then three spots left for – all of those guys, what direction do you think the Cardinals want? Harrison Bader could theoretically be in there. Uh, what direction do you think they want to go? And how does Matt Adams also fit into the mix, given that Martinez plays first base and outfield?
0: Well, I think the, the toughest thing for Matt Adams right now is that with Matt Carpenter over there, you now have another lefty manning the position. It's It's more difficult to platoon Matt Adams in because Jose Martinez provides that right-handed counter to the left-handed Matt Carpenter, right? So Adams finds himself in, in somewhat of a tough position. I always think that his defense is a little bit underrated at the position. I think he's good. Um, and he's, he's really worked on remaking his swing, right? So he had, to, he had to be able to hit lefties. He has to use the opposite field. So far what we've seen is a lot more compact power. He's not so much a clubber anymore as he is a really powerful, uh, thoughtful swinger. But he's in a tough spot. I think Tommy Pham is in a tough spot. Greg Garcia is out of options. So if Greg Garcia doesn't make this
1: team, he has to go through waivers. So, so let's put him on because you need a backup middle infielder. So that's 11. So that means then you have two spots for Adams, Martinez, Pham. You think those are the guys that it comes down to? I think where
0: they are in their careers, yeah, those are the guys uh, that this is between. And out of those three, Martinez certainly, to me at least, has the, the inside track simply because of positional versatility and he's had a productive spring in all phases. So I think that right now he looks like a guy that's, that's penciled into that spot. Now it comes down to Tommy Pham. Do you want that extra outfielder?
1: Who can play center field?
0: Yeah, who can play a center field, and, I, and Jose cannot play center field. But Tommy Pham can play center field, or do you want a lefty power hitter who... What you did see from Matt Adams, even though he didn't play a ton in the field, he was a pinch-hit monster last season, a, a handful of home runs. He's a game-changing bat that you can play at the end of games. So they each have different value propositions. Matt Adams is primarily at the plate. Tommy Pham is primarily as a center fielder uh, with a little bit of speed. So I think that's and – and right now, uh, it's probably too even to call that race, I would say. But I'd say uh, Jose Martinez seems to have the edge. Is that's probably going to be on this team uh, come April 2nd. Gosh.
1: I just – and I don't know if this is the right move, but, you know, if you're carrying him, do you also carry Adams when when Jed Jerko can play first base? I, I, I don't know. When when Steven Piscotty can play a little first base in a pinch if you want to get really right-handed heavy.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's sort of the issue is once Carpenter moved over there and was a left-handed bat there – the need for Matt Adams uh, went down significantly for this team, just because they don't need him in the field. They have a few guys who can play there serviceably. What they what they need is a power hitting bat. But Matt Carpenter, at this point, has put up more home runs in seasons than Matt Adams. And Matt Adams' biggest value proposition is a home run hitter. So he's sort of a man without a country on this team, which is which is kind of a. A shame given that he's performed relatively well for them. It's just that he's one of those guys that as the, the organization took shape, he kind of was fell through one of the seams.
1: I think that Bader is like Carson Kelly and that he probably will be up and could certainly contribute to this team this year. But over the first half of the season – Where do you want him? And I think you want him playing every day. I think more reps in corner outfield would probably help him. He played center just about all of last year, played corner outfield. Uh, He told me really for one of the first times in the Arizona Fall League, while I think he could contribute and could be a good bench player for this club right now, I don't think you want him up only getting a handful of at-bats in the first couple of months of the season like Carson.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's really what you're you're looking at for a lot of these young guys. Um, pitchers, you know, whether they're, they could contribute to a bullpen role or they need to be a starter in Memphis. Same thing with guys like Carson Bader. Best value proposition for where these guys are in their career is steady playing time, to accumulate the innings, to accumulate the endurance needed, the experience needed, that you can't always get coming off the bench for a few innings or in a bat here and there. That's why when you talked about uh, young pitchers, that are currently starters and projected starters. John Moselik has said before, the biggest thing that they need is the bucket full of innings, right? They need to acquire the, the, the requisite workload so that they aren't gassed when they come in or inexperienced or risk injury when they eventually do stretch back out. Same thing goes for position players, especially at this stage in their career. You see them in spring and you start to think, what if? But they need to still go back and establish it in AAA and establish it over a long period of time. That's really the mark of a guy that's MLB ready. Good stuff, buddy. Hey, great stuff. Thanks for sharing the microphone with me.
1: I want to talk uh, maybe the beginning of next week. I want to talk uh, a realty update, and um, I need a Kyle P. update. We got a new
0: champ, uh, Saw Kyle. What? Oh, yeah. No, oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, I don't
1: want to give away the uh, We don't have time, yeah. But just but, what, really, give me like the 10-second version.
0: Well, we got a brand new champ up top. It's Clark. Clark P., I don't want to give it the last name. Clark P. has taken top sales. Kyle P., I've seen him. I've seen him in early. I've seen him staying late. This guy is eager to reclaim the crown. But I will say, you know who's a three-time most transactions champion? Jennifer R. Jennifer R. Quantity is is making her a leaderboard champ. And quantity's paying those bills. I think we might have had it wrong before. Maybe it's not the big dollar deals. Maybe it's the nickel and dimes.
1: We're going to dive into this next week.